Well, sunny beaches of South Florida, is that you? Hello! Oh my gosh, how in the heck are you? You look amazing today. It is so good to see you again. Come on in and have a seat. Follow us or subscribe or whatever it is your medium requires and stay a while. We'd love to have you as part of our family. Say, while you're here, can I get you something to think today? It is the early years of the 12th century, and the north and west of the region, known as Alape, were being harassed by raids of the Norsemen. Nowadays, Alape is more commonly known as Scotland. The Loch Lenoch, who are now known as Norsemen or Vikings, came from Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. They were powerful enemies, splendid fighters and born sailors. They were envied as explorers and feared as invaders their ships being the largest and fastest of the seas. They were clinker-built, which is the overlapping of planks riveted together. Some might have had a dragon's head or other circular object protruding from the bow and stern for design. Viking longships were used both for military purposes and for long-distance trade, exploration, and colonization. There were places for as many as 50 rowers on most of the Viking ships. The Franks referred to them as dragon ships. A single dragon ship carrying 100 warriors was not uncommon. At first, these Norsemen landed only to plunder and destroy and dash off again. But the time came when they were not content to stop at that, when their idea was to conquer land in which to settle and to stay. Labria Aha Aung Kimmer a Hashib Sorle es enem My name is Sorle Mac Gilia Brite. Most people call me Sorle. It's spelled S O M E R L E D. You'll have to forgive our Gaelic tongues. We leap over several consonants frequently and sit on our vowels. I'm the son of Gilia Brit and grandson of Gilia Aumnen. I'm of Norse Gaelic ancestry. The year is 1156 AD. I am living in Scotland. And get this, I am married to a princess. Yes, really. I'm not jesting about that. An actual princess. She frequently corrects my behavior towards her by reminding me of this fact. I have five sons and a daughter. It's been rumored that my life is masked in obscurity and myth. But as far as I know, life is pretty normal. In fact, I'll bet I have some of the same problems that you have. Yeah, let's see. I was mad at the neighbor. Wanted him to move. Instead, I married his daughter. Now I have issues with my brother-in-law. He's been causing problems and is kind of a jerk. You know what they say, you don't just marry the princess. You marry the whole royal pain-in-the-butt family. And, oh yes, I have a thing for boats. Big ones. What else? I like a peaceful life. But when trouble comes a brewing, I am not above knocking a few heads to get things back in line. In my leisure time, I enjoy fishing and figure myself to be right good at it. Mother prefers that I take the children, but either way, it's a good time to unwind. I especially like fresh caught salmon cooked over an open flame. It was a favorite of my father's also. 
Well, this here is a bit of my story. Forgive me if I am scant on a few of the details. It's only been about 900 years or so. Everyone wants to bend your ear over how it all happened. Let me tell you a few of my favorite parts of this story. Once upon a time, on the coastal isles of northwestern Alape, currently known as Scotland. I was born somewhere. Some say in Morvorn, Scotland, to a Viking mother. Others theorize about the year 1100 in Northern Ireland to a blue-blooded mother. Well, only heaven and my mother know the truth of that. I have been accused of many things and called many names, but there is one thing for certain I have never been accused of, and that is not being born. Many a man accused me of coming from elsewhere other than heaven, if you know what I mean, and I helped many of those same scoundrel men to be unborn and return to whatever dank corner of outer darkness they came from. The accounts seem to conflict, and I have misplaced my birth certificate, but it's undeniable that I was born. During my early youth, the Hebrid Isles off the west coast of Scotland were fairly easy prey for the plundering Vikings, and in time they took possession of them, as well as the Orkneys and the Shetlands, north of Scotland, and parts of Caithness and Sutherland, the northernmost sections of the Scottish mainland. Then they turned their attention to the mainland of Argyll. My grandfather owned a large part of Argyll, but he was not powerful enough to keep the Vikings at bay, and after one ineffectual attempt, our family was driven out of the country. We took refuge with grandfather Gilia Aumnen in Northern Ireland, where he eventually died. Also in Ireland, my father, Gilbride, we'll just refer to him as Gilbert, there he met a woman and remarried. And by met, I mean the marriage was arranged by strategy, as it commonly was. Somewhere around the year 1120, father married the daughter of Malcolm, the illegitimate son of Alexander I of Scotland and claimant to the Scottish throne. Now, the illegitimate complexities cost a great deal of strife when it came to choosing the next in line to be king. Several times, this resulted in bloodshed. When great-grandpa Alexander I died, Grandpa Malcolm sought with his muddy bloodline to be king. Well, the reigning King Henry I of England established Grandpa Malcolm's uncle David I to the throne. In the scrap for power and control, an exiled Norwegian priest who worked for King David was blamed for the death of David's eldest son. The priest was subsequently put to death by being bound to the tails of four horses. Like a realistic game of wishbone. Well, King David made his point very clear. And Grandpa Malcolm made the wise decision to amscray into areas of Scotland not yet under David's control. There he remained for several years. On and off, the accused treachery over power was thrown towards me. I'm not here to declare my innocence or guilt of anything. Blood might be thicker than water, but at the heart of it all was the need of maintaining strong leadership as a strategy for stability of the nation. And whatever it took to accomplish that, it was done. Eventually, I was fighting alongside David to retain his control of the country. 
This was the real-life Game of Thrones that my family constantly played. By and by, my father Gilbert began to long for seeing his native land again. And he and his son named Sorlet, that's me, we managed to return to Argyle. But when we arrived, we found ourselves homeless wanderers there. Life became so physically and emotionally destitute that we settled in a cave on the shores of Loc Lignier, where we lived in some pretty dire poverty. This is what we optimistically refer to as a time of depressed fortunes. My father Gilbert's fighting days were over, and I became consumed with brooding over the ruined fortunes of my family. All I knew of this land were the stories of my father, the mountains and the locks, the surrealness of it all combined with my father's inability to jumpstart his life, nearly engulfed me emotionally. Then something happened to change all of this, and from being a depressed dreamer, I suddenly developed into a master of warlike strategy. It was the strangest set of circumstances. And honestly, I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't experienced it myself. The clan MacInnes occupied Morvern at Argale. They had suffered severely in withstanding the repeated attempts of the marauding Norsemen to reduce them to entire subjection. Their leader had been slain. They were now menaced by and with another attack. The marauders' galleys were moored on their shores, and the more experienced of the clan assembled to deliberate on the unhappy position in which they were placed and to determine what course, if any, they should pursue in so critical an emergency. No man among the clansmen was qualified to lead them into battle, and they knew of no one on the spot who could step into that breach. So various opinions were given, and various plans suggested, but unanimity, when so much required, did not pervade the council. My clansmen, my brothers... Let me be heard. I am old. I am weary of burying our people. This dissension amongst us will be our final undoing. We are frayed, fearful, and without union. It is vain for any of you to think you are superior to the other, now or ever. There on the shore... Though the spawn of Beelzebub himself is a foe who is united as one man, and they are obedient to the commands of an acknowledged leader. My counsel, as an elder of this clan, is that we look outside of ourselves and our pride to another. There is a man taking refuge among us by the name of Sorlier, the man who dwells in the cave by the loch. He is young and strong, and the offspring of a great ruler himself. It is in his blood to be a leader, a lord, and a king. If you can put your selfish egos aside, you will agree that I am correct in this suggestion. For the strength of the man is the clan, and the strength of the clan is the man. Okay, then. Now that we are finally in unison over this, you, and you, 
and you need to find Sorlier and convince him to die with us. I, I mean, to lead us in this cockamamie idea. You know where to find him. Get going. We haven't much time. I first saw them as they reached the rocky shores of Lochligny, near a stream I was fishing in called Garvan. I had with me nothing but my fishing rod and a blade for cleaning the fish, as I was only angling for my next meal. Now, Garvan is a Gaelic term meaning short river, so there wasn't much room for me to be fishing. But it was much more my style than trying my luck in the deep Lochligny. Stuhin in Koikroch. Hello, stranger. La Bria Ahaon. Good day. Hello. I must admit, I was feeling a bit apprehensive about their intentions as the group converged upon me. Hello to you. What might be the reason for your mirth and glee? They looked a bit perplexed and awkward at how to explain what I found out later was an emergency meeting that had just taken place. And the context of the unanimous vote they'd taken to nominate me as their leader? Well, the fact was that they looked upon poor old me as sort of a half-wit because of my melancholy manner and downtrodden situations. Well, they had sworn to make me their leader, so they asked me as much. You want what? You want me to what? Honestly, I had to think about it for some time without answering. You know, I've been accused of being quite pensive. And this was one of those times when I was carefully measuring my next move for my concern as well as theirs. I had learned since youth that wisdom is like a river. The deeper it flows, the less noise it makes. And even with onlookers, I was in the midst of this meditative analysis paralysis when suddenly there came a tug at my fishing line. Oh, praise the good Lord, finally I get a bite. Oh, man, if, if I ain't mistaken, this is a monster. Wondering if it swam from the Loch Ness across the Great Glen Fault. Oh, see now, my good lads, I have hooked the salmon. Let it give you my answer. If when I land the fish, uh, my help shall be yours. Uh, well, as it happened, it was a very sportive fish and difficult to catch. The McKinney's men saw a thrilling fight between their potential battle chief and a monster salmon as we plunged and struggled up and down the river. But I was a good fisherman. I'd done this before, and, and I was hungry. Hungry for a lot of things. And at last, the salmon lay quivering on the bank. Lads, my help is yours. But to begin with, Having of your own accord invited me to lead you, you must swear to obey my commands. I Count Fiona. Yes, Chief Solier. We swear allegiance to you. Well, I wasted no time in their trust of me, and straight away a place was appointed as to where they were to muster the men. I wanted it to be in a conspicuous spot, highly visible. We had a psychological PR campaign to run with these scoundrel Norsemen. Excuse me, sir. You want us to build war camp out in the open? Yes, 
Where the Vikings can see us? Yes. And tonight I want you men to light as many roaring fires around the camp as possible. I want men walking back and forth in front of the fires for a good while into the night. Psst. Hi. Psst. Are you sure Chaulier is on our side? Can we do a revote? He seems to be making us very visible to the enemy. I'm feeling emotionally naked with this guy. I'm going to have a hard time sleeping tonight. His boldness has my stomach swirling like a butter churn all day. Although, honestly, it could be the snipe I ate on the evening yesterday. That old bird just doesn't agree with me. I probably should have plucked it first, as my last recommended. You ninny head! Of course he knows what he's doing. He's destined for greatness. I can just feel it in his confidence. I've seen him working with his sword and letting his arrows fly. This man has skill and valor. If we hang close to him, I think we will do pretty well. And good grab. Of course you're supposed to pluck the snipe before you eat it. I'm convinced that your mother was a goat and your father smells of elderberries. Okay, men. I'll be at the camp before dawn. Do as I directed, and there'll be further instructions in the morning. Then I carried the salmon to the cave where I cooked it and left it ready for Father's meal. That salmon turned out really well. The cold river water sure makes for a tasty fish. Definitely worth the trouble I'm about to get into and the hell I am about to raise. There was a lot on my mind on my pre-dawn ride to the place where the men had mustered for the night. As I rode through the cool lock air, I could smell the dampness of the bluebell flowers and the heather that carpeted the hillside. Bell heather made the honey so strong and thick. It was like a nectar from the gods. I was looking for any advantage I could imagine to aid in honoring the trust that these men and their families had put in me. We were now defending our wives and children, our homes, and our futures. That felt different. Upon arriving at the camp, I was pleased to see that the men had done exactly as I commanded with the fires. As the early morning light crept into our valley, I saw the Viking ships landing their forces. Them rapacious Norse pirates had a numerical advantage over us. The old Gaelic proverb came to mind, There isn't a flood which will not subside. I thought to myself, that's certainly true, yet sometimes you just got to help it a bit. One advantage that the Vikings brought down upon us was the funding and resources of weapons they had. New swords of superior steel, large axes that seemed razor sharp, spears, shields, and arrows that were straighter than a skeeter's peter in the middle of mating season. We would just have to use the home field advantage to our benefit. Well, lads, it looks like we won't be playing fair today. We can sensibly match them lad for lad, except they got us outnumbered many times over. We've got to get them presuming that there are more of us. We've got to trust each other, men, and use our wits. With prompt decision, my mind seemed to sort out a strategy. Need more men. Outnumbered. Use our wits. 
I had noticed on my ride to the camp early in the morning that there was a good-sized herd of cattle laying in the neighboring valley. Hmm. Have you any men who are handy with butchering and skinning of animals? Good, good. Take horses and weapons to the adjoining valley. Slay as many cattle as we have men, and bring back the hides as quickly as you can. That is my command. Now go! Excuse me, I was shaking the dew off my lily and didn't hear how much meat Chief Chorlier wanted us to bring back. No, uh, no meat, lad. Just hides. One for each man in the group. Wait, wait, what? We're killing cattle, wasting meat, probably gonna die by the end of the day, and he wants us to just bring hides? Is there some kind of burial ritual with hides that I am not familiar with? Oh, lad, have some faith in him. Remember what Grandma used to say? The geese will tell it in the autumn. Oh, criminy, what in the name of Nessie is that supposed to mean? Patience, lad. Your trust increases his ability. All will be revealed in due course. <laughs> well, whatever, just heard... I guess it's as good a day to die as any. I took up a position which commanded a full view of the enemy's movements. When I saw them forming the ranks, I ordered my small but mighty forces to gather in for instructions. All right, lads. Here is where the man meets the mountain. Follow my instructions meticulously, and with the help of the good Lord, we will live to fight another day. I want you to march down the valley four abreast, go around the hill at the foot, and drop out of sight into the glen at the bottom. Then scamper around the other side of the hill and come back to the place where we now stand. Repeat this pattern until I command otherwise. Now go, men. The men kept on marching round and round the hill, and the Norsemen seemed to be biting on our deception of a formidable battalion. Well, next, I ordered every man to wrap himself in an ox hide, with the smooth side out, and then repeating the marching routine as a second battalion until I gave the command. Upon completion, there was one last deceptive performance to be had, and that was for the men to turn the rough side of the hides outward. That was the final straw. The wild and savage appearances of the supposed 3rd Battalion was too much for the Norsemen. They began falling into disorder. I could see their movements of panic, and like a fox in the henhouse, they gave way to the fear and fled in all directions. This is it, lads. Now is our time to rain hell upon these invaders. There is no man's death without another man's gain. Today, lads, today we gain. Spock! Spock! Leerskris! Leerskris! Attack! Attack!
Our little force went wildly yelling as they charged toward the Viking advance party. It was referred to in history as a great slaughter. Two of the Norse leaders, Boradil and Lundi, were slain in two separate steep-sided hollows we call quarries. These quarries still bear their name. And then there was Stangadil. He was so hotly pursued and so dreadfully terror-struck that in order to escape the sword, he leapt into a boiling lin. Well, lin is a Gaelic word for waterfall. That waterfall is called by the name of Ies Stangadil. The remainder of the frightened marauders made for the ships and got away as fast as possible. There were several other victories before we eventually drove the Norsemen out of the western highlands. I was referred to as Master of Loch Aped, Morvin, and Argael. Meanwhile, King David II of Scotland granted me the Isle of Man, Aurain, and Boot for my daring assistance. In the Western Isles, the Viking power was still unbroken, and in order to keep a handle on the neighbors, I was determined to govern over those as well. Sometime in 1140 AD, there was a Viking by the name of Olaf the Red. He was the king of the Isles, and it just so happened that he had a daughter named Ranghildis. Now, Ranghildis was quite eligible. Olaf was a decent ruler and currently wasn't causing me any grief, but leadership changes hands so easily between treachery, treason, illness, and death that I just didn't want to risk not having my foot in that door somehow. History will tell you that as King of the Isles, Olaf the Red contracted marital alliances with neighboring maritime rulers. Well, that would have been me. In a vague way, this is kind of true. It's mostly political rhetoric and much less voluntary than it's made to sound. What really happened is that my way of getting my foot in the door with King Olaf was to marry Ranghildis. Whether Ranghildis wanted to marry me or not wasn't really a question that I proposed to her. So, as history states it, I fraudulently seized and forcibly carried her off and married her. Not exactly the honeymoon a princess might expect, but it suited my purposes. It brought peace to the region, and she was a fine mother to our three sons, Duval, Reginald, and Angus. Our son, Reginald, subsequently had a family of his own and a son named Donald. It is Donald who founded the clan Donald, and is therefore the eponym of all MacDonalds. MacDonald literally means son of Donald. I took the title king and later Lord of the Isles, a title which became hereditary in my family. After recounting the events of a life so epic, how could I not have some takeaways? And here they are. As Mr. Smith stated, any man who will not fight for his wife and children is a coward. Marriage is one of the most important decisions of your life. Who you marry will decide in large measure how you are influenced, driven, focused, and ultimately become in this life. What kind of a marriage alliance do you want or have? Marriage should be as much about strategy for exalting oneself as it is the strategy of a synergistic match for your life's conquests of hardships, weaknesses, and enemies of your kingdom. 
Just remember that only the true treasures of life will fit with you in your own pine box of final resting. There is some Viking wisdom in the phrase, be warned by another's woe. Don't you ever laugh at other people's mistakes because one day it will come and knock at your door. Learn from it. The Scottish Gaelic proverb reminds us, Tri nehuen ahik guniri, gul etid es ikl. Three that come unbidden, love, jealousy, and fear. As Iggy once said, your future is determined by your past, so be careful what you do in your past. Mersin leit indraste, awape gubroch. Goodbye for now, Scotland forever. Thank you for listening to the Feeling Your Oats podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Growing listeners will allow complete focus on content. Once again, I am just randomly being me. Until next time, remember, when your why is clear, your how is easy. And hey, we'll see you in the spring if the water's clear. Well, Dad blessed it. I sure enjoyed the visit today. If you gained something from it, be kind enough to follow us and leave a review. And do it right now. If you would, it'd sure be appreciated. Your comments have been so considerate and honestly left me blushing. And good night, those reviews make a big difference in the program's visibility. On the Apple platforms, you select the Go to Show option. And then click the circle plus sign at the top right to follow. Then scroll down below the episodes to leave some stars in a review. Them algorithms need all the help they can get so as I can disrupt more good folks like you. So I tell you what, if you got a friend or three that you just don't like very much, well, share this podcast with them and let us bug them for a while. And if you have comments or suggestions for future discussions, well, don't just keep them to yourself. We, we'd love to hear from you. You can DM us on our Instagrams at fyo.podcast. And thank you. Are you still there? Remember to download the Family Tree app and see how you are related to the people from today's episode. All those links will be included in the show notes. Sometimes it's important to look a gift horse in the mouth. Your gift is your ancestry. Your superpower is their family history stories that make you. Not a one of us crawled out from under a rock, regardless of what you've been told. You have 4,094 grandparents, over 12 generations, with thousands of love stories, battles, difficulties, sadness, happiness, and expressions of hope for the future that allows you to be here today. We are the culmination of so many things we did not choose. It was designed that way. So be gentle with yourself and others. Take the time to learn yourself through your family history stories. There are innumerable tributaries flowing into the life experience that deceptively seems to be your own, but it's not. So think about that as you row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Russell M. Nelson stated, When our hearts turn to our ancestors, something changes inside us. We feel part of something greater than ourselves. (laughs) 
I concur. Thank you for joining me on another unbelievably true adventure. Find your family history superpower and activate it. Until the next time, bye.